0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 264. God, there's a lot of them, in there? You could have a good old stroll back through the back catalogue at some point if you wanted. But um, even if you don't, I mean, you should focus on this episode first because it's a really good one. Because I'm joined today by Mr Nish Kumar. Incredibly excited about this. Me and Nish, i never actually met properly I don't think this was the first time this was was certainly the first time we'd sat down and had a chat together as you'll hear I've been a fan on him of him on a lot of stuff particularly the films we've buried with podcasts and I should mention actually if you're tuning in as a niche fan in about two three weeks I think um he's appearing on a podcast called S- stop and search which I recommend you ch- you check out because interview podcasts you know you're at l- in risk of getting the same stories, things like that, I never mind that. Like J- John Ronson is one that I've heard a few of his stories four or five times, and I've loved them every time. But that podcast is by a guy called J- Jason Reed, who works with Leap UK, who are a group of activists and a group of ex-lawyers, ex-judges, ex-police who are trying to push for dr- dr- drug law reform because um, they've all been and seen all sides of the war on drugs and don't feel the current systems are working. Um, and it's a podcast about drugs and about drug law and things like that. So it will be a really good listen and a bit of a different uh, lesson, I'd imagine. Anyway, this week, we should focus on my podcast, not some podcast that isn't out yet. Uh, we're brought to you as ever by com. Um, we're approaching prime of the month over on Patreon, patreon.com slash pip, where there is a new spoken word piece, uh, recorded every, every month. It's actually an old, it's, it's spoken word pieces from like 10 years ago, s- s- some longer. Um, and I've recorded them recently to kind of have a look, a walk down memory lane and stuff like that. So that's all over at patreoncom slash pip. It's a quid a month. It doesn't cost you too much. Um, But I won't ramble on too much about that. In fact, I won't ramble on too much at all, because I want to get on to Nish. That sounded sexy, didn't Um, you? If this is your first uh, time listening, I've had a lot of great comedians on. I recently had Jade Adams on, um, Stephen Merchant, Joe Cornish. Uh, I can't mention Joe without mentioning I'd had Adam Buxton on um, previously. Uh, Whatever good comedians. uh, Russell Kane, Russell Howard, and Russell Brand. Got a full collection of Russells. Um, L- L- Lolly Adafope was recently. That was great. Is that enough comedians f- f- for you to delve into the the back catalogue and find? If not, if that isn't quite enough comedians, I could mention Simon Pegg, f- for example. He's been on twice. I could mention J- Jamie Demetrio who I think we talk about in this episode. Um. Like I mentioned Jamali Maddox. Uh, we've had a lot of good a lot of really good comedians on over the year L- lemmy chris Ramsey um S- Steve McNeil, who's got a new book out now about the kind of history of computer games, so that is that is well worth going and having a little a little looky look at um that's probably enough comedians listed and rambling. For now, oh, Eddie Izzard as well. I'm going over the pictures of previous guests, Armando Iannucci. Yeah, I mentioned John Ronson had a two-part episode with him. Sophie Hagen, who's got a new book out as well. Um, so check th- th- that out. Doc Brown I've had on. Oh, I've had everyone. I mean, Neil Fitzmaurice. I'm not going to list all of them, or am I? No, I'm not, or am I? No, I'm not. James Buckley, uh, Susan Wacoma, actress, comedian as well. Dave Johns, Catherine Ryan, Sarah Pascoe, Aisling B, um, Brett Goldstein. Oh, you're bored now, aren't you? Ian Lee. (laughs) I swear I'm not going to do all of it. Did I mention Limmy and Marcus Brigstock and Brendan Burns? I've had a lot of good guests and Ramesh Ranganathan. Anyway, let's get on with the podcast. Um, I'm not going to tell you anything else to do you could check out pod bible magazine if you're into podcasts me and nish talk about a love of podcasts um and that's a good place to find new podcasts and interviews with podcasters and so on it's on social media and in physical form it's pod bible or pod bible mag um let's get on with the podcast i will be back at the end to tell you a few little a few little things oh in fact i'll mention now who's next week's guest i think let me just check my schedule because i think next week's guest. Is a dear friend of Nish who we talk about in this episode, and who in the episode I talk about Nish in the next week's episode. Yes, it's Ed Gamble next week. Ed Gamble, who is recording his um his 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 comedy special at the Le- at the Leicester Square Theatre at the end of next week. Um, he's the podcast next Wednesday, so that's exciting. But for now, this is episode two hundred and sixty-four of the Distraction Pieces podcast with the one and only. Mr. Nish Kumar. This piece of fiction is the insult of destruction. This piece of fiction is the insult of destruction. This piece of fiction is the insult of destruction. This piece of fiction is the insult of destruction. Right, um, I'm joined today by Nish Kumar. How are you, sir? Yeah, good, mate. How are you? I'm good. It seems bizarre. I was discussing this with John at Acast before you arrived. It's kind of bizarre that we've never met. Yeah, that is weird. We've got so many yeah. mutual friends. We <laughs> move in so many of the same circles yeah, in the entertainment right. thing and we've just not met. So I'm, I'm glad to have you on and to,
1: and to sit down and have a chat. It's always weird though, I think, when you meet people whose podcasts you listen to. Right. I, I think there's, because it's <laughs> already, I'm very familiar with your voice. Great. <laughs> and so, sometimes when you meet people whose podcasts you listen to, like I've I really got better at it now, and I think you will stand testament to the fact that I greeted you in a very appropriate way. I shook hands with you and said, yeah. Nice to meet you. Yeah, yeah, Whereas yeah. sometimes, like, w- certainly when, when the medium was in its infancy, yeah. you'd meet people whose podcasts you listen to, you're like, All right, mate, what's going on? And they're yeah. like, I don't know who you are. We've never
0: met. <laughs> I had a problem, I genuinely, I, I years ago, I went on Joe Rogan's podcast, yeah. and I love Rogan. It was the first time we'd met, and it's it's great, and I've got a lot of love for it. But I don't think it's my best performance as a guest because <laughs> I've listened to so much of his stuff. I genuinely kept forgetting that I'm part of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. He'd be going off on one, and I'd be listening. And I've had loads of people say, "Oh, he barely let you talk." I'm like, he was filling space, man. I kept forgetting. I didn't just have him in my headphones, so he's rambling away, and I'm like, yeah, yep. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, I should, I should be engaging oh, it. Yeah, oh, yeah. Also, here's my views. So yeah, it's weird. So. Are you a big podcast listener then? Yeah. Like when you travel and stuff like that, is that your, yeah, your yeah. place?
1: When you spend a lot of time as a stand-up comedian on various forms of public transport, mm-hmm. you it is a great way of, you know, getting through a bunch of podcasts. But, I mean, I think my my kind of love of podcasts actually started when I was doing office temp jobs. Right. And, you know, when you start in comedy, like, it's an unpaid apprenticeship yeah. that goes on for an undetermined period of time, (laughs) depending on how quickly you work out how to write a fucking joke. (laughs) Um, So I was, I was an office temp for five years and like, they they were all sort of pretty mindless jobs. And so I used to, you know, my week was built around, so Guardian football, then Mark Maron, and then Richard Herring. And then it was all, and then the bugle and it's all structured around what the new podcast was. And because there were fewer podcasts and also because the podcasts that were around had fewer episodes, as soon as you got into one, you'd go, amazing. Yeah. I'm going to start from episode one. Yeah. And this is going to get me through a week of doing admin and spreadsheets. It's,
0: it's a genuine addiction as, as well, yeah. isn't it? Like I, When when Herring and when Buxton have their gaps, yeah. I'm like, itchy. <laughs> I'm like, what's, what's going on? Uh, it's... <laughs> It's Monday or whatever it's, and I, I, I need my fix. So it's it's weird. It's beautiful that there are so many more now. So it's great. So you can get that that fix. But I, I I wish my days in in retail or offices. Or I did a lot of, of factory work and a lot of retail work. Yeah. But a lot out the back. I wish podcasts were around I then because yeah because with travel. It's genuinely – it sounds like I'm overhyped, but it's, it's changed my life. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't mind a three-hour journey. I don't yeah. mind a five-hour journey because I've got a podcast. Previously, you'd be like, oh, it's going to be hell. I've yeah. got to get through this whole journey. I'll start reading and then I'll get sleepy. <laughs> uh, and then I'll realise I've read three pages and I haven't taken them in. And all of these different things. But for podcasts and driving as well, it's the same. It's like I'll drive – I'll do a five- or six-hour drive and it won't be a problem because yeah, i have sure. a, a, a Marin, a Rogan – I mean depending on the rogan all you need is one f- for a 6 hour driver he's got some <laughs> m- m- mental like Alex Jones on then you might crash but yeah it's 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 a wonderful it's a wonderful platform and yeah, a wonderful a great m- thing medium have you been tempted to to have you got anything that you want to do podcast wise I
1: think I think I don't want to there's so many good ones around now yeah. it's the sort of thing where if you add a new one it's got to have some really interesting selling point or it's gotta have some real focal point. Um yeah. but no I'm I'm genuinely happy just being a fan. I mean I do I am a very I mean at this point I'm a stand-up comedian slash podcast guest. Yeah. Like I <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guessed it on a lot of it. but and also I do the bugle semi regularly yes. with Zoltzman. Yeah. So I do get my fix of doing the podcast yeah. being Andy's sidekick yeah um, and
0: that's kind of handy because you get to do regular podcasts but not have the pressure yeah, yeah. of having your podcast because again that's when it becomes a stress Yeah, when you're having and you have to be to- oh I need to put one out I've not got anything and Exactly, it shouldn't be that so that's the perfect you're essentially a, a godparent <laughs> yeah <laughs> you get all the joys yeah. of children, but not the massive
1: responsibility of raising I'm a, children. I'm a fun uncle. <laughs> exactly. I'm a fun uncle to the podcast community.
0: <laughs> it's it's a weird one because yeah, I've I've listened to you on on on, on, lo- on loads of podcasts, and we'll get into tons of your of your career because I've been following you for a long time, and I'm I'm a fan of your work. I'm a fan of what you're doing, um, but I want to kind of annoy the fan base who will have tuned in to hear these great stories about Nish and how your life's going and all that. And just talk about films for a bit. Yeah, sure. I adore films. When I was speaking to Brett, obviously we've got a mutual friend in Brett Goldstein. Of course. was he at one point said, oh, Nish is is one of us. He's one of the ones that goes to the the cinema on his own in the daytime whenever there's a gap, like excited to fill a gap with a cinema trip. Yeah, God, yeah. It's just a beautiful medium, right? I, I worry there's a lot of talk at the moment with Spielberg arguing about what should qualify for the Oscars.
1: Yeah.
0: Don't care too much to talk about that because it's not, re- you know, no. yeah, it's, uh, it's no. the Oscars, it's, it's opinions. But yeah, yeah. I do think there is a concern over people f- not realizing how wonderful this, the cinema experience is. Like compared to what I love watching at home as well, yeah. but so, so much is going from the cinema and it genuinely is. I find being in there. Because it's a dark room, you can't look at your phone unless, obviously, you're scum. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's, it's silent.
1: Your attention's completely there. The sound, everything, and also it's a it's a communal experience. Like there's something powerful. Yeah. I mean, when I went to see Roma in the cinema, there was such a kind of force yeah. to being in a room with people having that emotional reaction to that yeah. film. But also, I mean, going back to something like. I mean, I remember seeing Borat yeah. really vividly yeah. the week it came out, and I, it's the closest I've ever experienced to being a live comedy gig in the cinema. Like yeah. people were just losing it. The bit where he goes to the house and that elderly Jewish couple <laughs> yeah. open it—people like gasping. Yeah, and there's something really—I think there's something really powerful about experiencing that. Of course, I mean, because of the nature of our work, we are able to go to the cinema. The optimum, the dream for me. Is ten a.m. Yeah, ten a.m. I get a coffee exactly, and then go, and then go in and watch a movie. And it's yeah, that's a really I don't know. Yeah, I really passionately believe in the cinema, but I do think that if we want to keep it moving forward, I think everyone's got to meet everyone else halfway. Yeah. You know, I'd, lo- I'd really love Netflix to because I think it's great. Some of the films that they made. Did you see Private Life? No, Catherine Hahn and Paul no. Giamatti. It was a really good movie about a couple doing IVF. And it was, you know, it's a small, intimate, yeah. kind of personal movie, but it's still shot beautifully. Yeah. And I watched it on Netflix, and I just remember thinking, I, I still would have enjoyed seeing this in the cinema. And I would really love Netflix to sort of push the cinema releases a little bit more. I'd do something for a month before it goes live. I was
0: saying online a while ago, I'd love Netflix to just open a few cinemas.
1: Yeah, I mean, they could do and that at that's this it. point. They've yeah. got the, they'd have no Absolutely. overheads, because they wouldn't
0: yeah. have to... <laughs> <laughs> pay to rent films because they own the films, only show Netflix films, and yeah. have that option. Because even the back catalogue of Netflix originals, there's loads that I'd love to actually watch there. Yeah, weirdly, yeah. Y- yours and Brett's discussion about Roma is why I've not not watched it yet. And yeah, this is sure. going to become really um, personal now. Or, or yeah, I don't, I don't know, odd, but. I'm getting a new entertainment system in my house tomorrow. Oh, right. Right? So I'm getting this huge screen. I'm getting a thing where I press a button and the the, the blinds come down, blackout, the lights turn off, <laughs> and it opens up on the Blu-ray screen. So it's like, it's going to be my little <laughs> cinema experience. Yeah, yeah. And Because of you and Brett talking about Roma being, you need to see it in its best
1: yeah, form. Yeah. I was like,
0: I don't want to watch it on my current cinema system <laughs> or TV system because it, it's just a TV. I'm not going to get the effort well, but, but now I'm making this adjustment to... Because the the reason I'm spending money on that is not to be flashy. It's for exactly the reason you were saying. There's yeah. so many films now that aren't getting cinema releases. Yeah, yeah. And I want to watch them properly. It's no coincidence that my films of the year list, there was maybe one film that I didn't see in the cinema on there. Yeah, sure. Because it's a different experience. There was probably films I watched at home that were probably as good, but I didn't quite connect it's, with them as yeah, much. Yeah,
1: it is just, it is still... A kind of interesting and powerful experience. I mean, I read a really cool interview with the Coen brothers where they were sort of very nonchalant about the whole thing and because they made Ballad of Buster Scruggs for Netflix yeah. that I did see in the cinema but it had a more limited cinema release than Roma. And they were asked about it and they kind of just said, I'm sure I'm paraphrasing wildly here, but I'm, they said something to the effect of most of the people who've seen most of our films watch them on video. 100% like that's a great most of them, like of the Coens Lebowski and, yeah. and all those movies, became big on VHS. So I mean, it was interesting hearing them who you would think would be such kind of arch defenders of the cinema kind of go well you know as long as people see it actually do that but really they're matter, such but... character writers aren't they yeah, rather yeah. i
0: mean obviously they shoot things beautifully but the ballad of Buster Scruggs didn't make it into my films of the year but yeah. it was number 1 on my list of favorite
1: characters of the year buster scruggs is like that's first bit was, he yeah. was just amazing also and Tom Waits yeah, in that movie mate. is fucking amazing. Yeah. Like He is, uh, he, Tom Waits is so great in that, that you sort of go, God, I wish you would do more films. I did, I did a podcast <laughs> uh, last year with David Lowry,
0: yeah. who's um, the director of Ghost Story, uh, Pete's Dr- Dragon, yeah. loads of good stuff. And his new film um, was The Old Man of the Gun. And I said to him at the start, I was like, we're here, I've got... F- 45 minutes with you I kind of don't want to talk about your new film because the best description for anyone listening is it's a heist movie and the heist crew are Robert Redford yeah. Danny Glover and Tom Waits
1: <laughs> I'm
0: like you don't need to say anything else that, that sh- should have been the trailer just here's the heist team it's like, who wouldn't want to see that because Tom yeah, Waits course. is just so and in that he talks about how there's there's a few scenes where he just he felt like a cheat calling himself the, the director, because he'd be out dr- dr- drinking with Tom the night before. <laughs> Tom, Tom would tell a story, and he'd be like, tomorrow we're, f- we're filming you them. telling that story. <laughs> and literally there's a few stories in there that are like, of course that's a real story. It's like, yeah. So it's literally just, yeah, let's put the cameras on, <laughs> do what you did last night. But that's amazing filmmaking, right?
1: That's so exciting. And it's just amazing because he's just so sort of watchable. Like oh. I remember he, he's got a great little bit in Romance and Cigarettes. As well, yeah. like he's like, but he's just—he's so just sort of watchable and cool. Yeah. and
0: yeah. It's a weird right. one. I'm really my relationship with cinema is changing slightly, and it's interesting what you said there because it's only in recent years I've realised the benefit of watching amongst other people. In general, I'm yeah, say yeah, yeah. at 10 a m., 10 a.m., 10:30, 11, empty cinema, yeah, all good. But but when I went to see um, the boy who, who would be king, I took my goddaughter and her sister along watching a kind of an epic kids' film yeah. with kids enjoying it. i got to watch that movie. It added to it massively. Yeah, yeah. It, it was wonderful anyway, but it added to, to, to it massively. And another example I had last year, I will literally cancel appointments or anything when there's a new Gaspar no film out. Because sure, yeah, one of yeah, my yeah. favourite experiences is the silence of a cinema emptying after a Gaspar no film. Because yeah, sure. there's always just people don't know what to do. It's just... <laughs> Slightly uncomfortable, you're all filing out. So that was one with Climax last year. Yeah. The film blew me away, but just that experience at the end, it was a full s- cinema and all of us just shuffled out in silence. Couples weren't talking. Yeah. Friends had come together, weren't talking, because everyone just has to kind of decompress after that experience. And it adds to it. If I'd watched it at home, it would have been great, but my home's quite silent anyway. Yeah. So it wouldn't have had <laughs> quite the impact of that. That, that crowd
1: experience. I, the sort of opposite end of that spectrum, in that the cinema just sort of erupted into a buzz of people talking, was the... I saw Get Out on probably the first Sunday it came out. Oh, wow. In Shepherd's Bush, in a completely packed, multiplex cinema. And... People are laughing, people are gasping. At yeah. one point, after one of the kind of jump scares in the film, the two, a guy two rows behind me just went, I don't like this! <laughs> like it was, there, there was so much going on and people were reacting in an amazing way. And uh, afterwards, the kind of film it, the film ends and there's just half a beat and then just everyone just started talking. It, was, it yeah. was such an incredible... I mean, I think that movie is extraordinary on so many levels. But what I thought was really amazing was it played out as a big, crowd-pleasing, exciting movie that suddenly spills, as you're leaving, spills out into a discussion about police brutality. And it's amazing listening to people reckoning with the fact that they gasped in horror when the police show up. Like, without wishing to give away too much at the end of that movie, you haven't seen it. But the scene where the police show up is so fascinating, convincing white people to be afraid of the police. Yeah. In a movie that is... Also, an incredibly entertaining action horror movie. And hearing people reckon with that as they come out of the cinema, is like, it was, I mean, it was great and exciting. And also, I went to see it with um, my girlfriend and another mutual friend of ours, James Acaster. Yes. And uh, I just kept running away saying, these people are trying to get out of me. And they were not (laughs) impressed. I love it. They were less (laughs) than impressed
0: with me. Uh, I had another one, again... This is now us just listing our favourite cinema experiences
1: <laughs> as it should be. Yeah.
0: Um, but I went to see, what was it called? Idris Elba's directorial debut last year, Yardi. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's such a cliche to say the experience of a, 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 a predominantly black crowd w- yeah, watching sure, a film yeah, is yeah, what. Yeah. But this was a predominantly specifically Jamaican crowd because it was the premiere of it at, right, at, yeah. at the BFI. because... Stephen Graham was in it, who's a mate who I'd met through some some stuff, and he invited me along. And watching that, it it was as you were saying, the feeling of being in a comedy
1: club yeah, sure, for yeah, for yeah, Borat. Yeah.
0: The the there was just older women and just so many people around who were just so vocal about any anything that was said. Any <laughs> character that character was a bit of a sleaze. The, the 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 derision they were throwing in their casting in their direction was just. Yeah, yeah. It, made it such an experience and again I I think it's also a, a, a really good film but yeah. I can't you can't separate can't it from that experience because it, yeah, experience yeah, yeah. it yeah. was such a great experience of being it, yeah it just yeah I love it I love the, the beauty of the cinema but speaking of watching at home then are you a fan of, of TV shows as well are you a big box set in quotation yeah, marks, I, you know
1: what I—I've fallen slightly behind with everything um, yeah. in the last. I would say in the last couple of years, I don't really know why that is. I think maybe it's because I've been watching a lot of movies, yeah, and watch and listening to a lot of trying to like listen to a lot of newish music, yeah. And I think the one that I've slightly fallen out with was. Keeping up on the big box set TV, so so it can be a commitment, right? It's, it's as it's, weird as it sounds. Yeah, I don't know what it, I'm not sure what it is really. I think also when I'm traveling, I'm listening to podcasts or I'm reading books, yeah. And so I'm behind on everything. So I literally yesterday watched the first two episodes of Russian Doll. Right. But I have been I've been struggling to participate in a lot of conversations in <laughs> the last eighteen months. Like, like my real heyday yeah. for it was literally the box set era. So I yeah. was a real. You know things like the West Wing and um, The Wire. Yeah. Those were kind of box sets that I absolutely inhaled. And if in the last couple of years, the things that I've be- enjoyed most on telly have been sort of s- smaller scale, contained miniseries. Yeah. Like um, Show Me a Hero with Oscar Isaac and yeah. uh, Fleabag. I did. I did yeah. Fleabag in one train journey. Yeah. Which it's
0: amazing. I was going to say that like Russian Doll is a perfect. I won for one of them, for watching just a load in one go. I yeah, I'd, right, yeah, I'd yeah. heard it was good, I put it on, and my plan at the time, I can't remember if I've said this before, but it's going to sound weird without any any more of the story, but I'm going to leave it at that. My plan at the time was to watch a couple of episodes and then have a nap. Um, <laughs> we live hard lives. But then I just watched all of them. I was like, it's, I can watch them all in four hours. It's just a long film, and it was... <laughs> I literally just sat down and watched it in one in, in one hit. I love was... how
1: hard our lives are that you had to put off a nap and I'm struggling to catch up on box sets because of all the other t- entertainment I've consuming.
0: It's so good. But one I wanted to mention uh, to tell you, I don't know why, but I've got a feeling you'll like it, is a series on Netflix called Kingdom, which my brother recommended to me. And there's, right. there's there was a Lars von Trier series called Kingdom. It's not that. There's a MMA show in America called Kingdom. It's not that. It's the Korean... Kind of s- samurais and z- zombies series, but it's really good. I mean, I'm in. It's based on I'm in for the description. Yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing as well when you realise it's based on true history. So yeah. what actually happened was uh, there was a time of disruption in the in the kind of the, the monarchy or Emperorship, or whatever it is over there. Um, that sounded really racist. Or whatever them lot do. Um, I, I didn't mean whatever it like that. To. Like, whatever they're up to. Whatever they're balancing out. Um, but there was also a big... A, a plague that started in, in the poorer communities, and there was right. it's this story of that, except instead of a plague, it's zombies. Right, okay. Which is a wonderful switch, because it allows them to keep a genuine, serious, and dramatic, and emotional tone. Oh, wow. But have zombies running around, and it'd be... It's it's honestly it blew me away. It's another one that it's a 6 episoder, so it's yeah, kind yeah. of you can smash through it and go. All right, that
1: was. I'll definitely, I'll definitely that give cool. that a go.
0: So yeah. Anyway, now we've got our entertainment <laughs> chat out of the way. Um, that's
1: the end of the podcast. Thank you for tuning Thanks for in, guys. Listening
0: in. Um, no, uh, what have you been up to lately? I know you were coming back from I've up just, north. From I've Liverpool. literally
1: got back from Liverpool uh, an hour ago. I appreciate you coming
0: essentially straight here no from worries, Liverpool. Mate. So oh, I
1: was, I'm more than happy to do that. So yeah, were so up to up last night. I'm on tour at the moment, so I'm oh. right. I'm just over halfway my 2019 tour dates. Amazing! Um, and we were in Liverpool last night, which was great fun. Yeah. And I'm home for a couple of days, and then I'm off to Aberystwyth and Bristol, and I'm just going all over the place. Um, and we're sort of running. Uh, there'll be a couple of other sort of odd festival days, but the majority of it uh, yeah. ends on the 1st of April. Yeah. So, like, we're really powering through now.
0: Yeah, it's great. Uh, c- comedians' tours are always mind-boggling when you come from the music world, where right. you kind of have a tour. It's such a locked-off, closed thing. Then Comedians' tour, it can be the bulk of the year. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. there's just some gaps, but it's like, no, here's what's going on. And yeah. it's it looks overwhelming, but then you realise, kind of exactly as you said, when you're touring as a band there's there's no life in between it you're on tour and then it's over whereas as a comedian because i think the nature of the tours can be that much longer you have to have life in between it you 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 have to have a few days where you come home or a week where you're off because otherwise
1: it would be this is my whole year yeah fuck that's that's, that's too much and i also just think um you know just helps sort of preserve your sanity yeah um i think when you're when you're touring, just coming home for two days and doing your washing and, yeah. you know, lying on my sofa or whatever it is. Yeah. Like, it's that, that, just a couple Catching of up music, Catching naps, up on
0: music, having that uh, Catching up on music, having Watching naps. films. All the,
1: all the, all the hectic <laughs> lifestyles of a man who's resolutely refused to get a proper job. Yeah. Um, but, I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's very manageable. You know, yeah. the travel is a bit knackering, but, I mean, I've got a tour manager yeah. and he's great and... Yeah. And I've had support acts this year, which the the, the fun thing for me, the, again, as looking at a musician's lifestyle versus a comedian's lifestyle is, you know, what I, the first two tours I did, I did them on my own, going on trains everywhere, yeah. which is fine, but you do sort of miss the camaraderie of the comedy circuit, yeah. like at least when you're doing gigs, you're hanging out with other people, yeah, you feel yeah, right, yeah. you're socialising, but... This tour has been great because I've had support acts and tour manager and it, you feel like a little band and everything yeah. kind of piles in the back of a car and you go off to the next place and it feels very... And, you know, you have someone to talk... I don't think it's healthy for a human being to only speak to people that have paid to watch that person Yeah, speak. they're going to adore I them. I you see, you see
0: think I, I kind of... It, it might be a, a worry and look into my psyche... But my favourite tour I ever did, and again, it's because of the grass is always greener type thing. When my book came out, I just did essentially a tour of live podcasts and and book signings and stuff like that. And I just did it on my own in my car, which meant I had podcasts every day. (laughs) I'd get to every town early and go to the cinema. (laughs) And I was like, I could live like this. Because it's literally, (laughs) I get to go to the cinema on my own, listen to podcasts, go and have people pretty much tell me I'm great. for an hour every yeah, evening, yeah, sure. get paid, and then go to a hotel <laughs> and get room service. I was like, "Oh, I don't need
1: any cl- cl- close friendships." It turns out I could literally just live as a w- nomad. This is wonderful. I, the first tour I did in twenty fifteen, I definitely felt that. I yeah. felt excited, and but it again, it's fun. because
0: I've spent years touring in a van, right. and then you get sick of people and yeah, all this kind of thing. So it's
1: not that. But See, yeah, but for me, it was only it was two thousand and sixteen. It was the second tour, like midway through the second tour, where I was like. Oh, I'd really like to speak to someone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyone, please. Yeah, just anyone. So, who have you had supporting you on, I've on had this an, run? I've had a, a sort of roll call of different people. The majority of them have been done by Rosie Jones and Sarah Barron, who yep. are both brilliant comedians. Sindhu V's done one. Stu Goldsmith did one. Yes. David Trent's done a couple. Um, Sarah Keyworth's doing a couple. Catherine Bohart's done some. Um, it's been a real and Desiree Birch is going to do a couple oh, towards amazing. the end. She's it's fantastic. been, it's just been a really, it's been a really fun element of it. Just going around with comedians who I think are all great. Like everybody who's supported me is somebody that I think is really funny, it's but a, also people that I get on with. And, it's,
0: it's a beautiful thing when you get to that point in your career where you can go, "Oh right, I can." pick people who I think are wonderful yeah. to come and and, and, and gig with Absolutely, me. Absolutely, yeah. The first time I did a, a spoken word tour, I'm really, because I'm not that sociable, yeah. I really forget that there's there's levels of success and things like that. And I was about to, to do this spoken word tour. I booked it all myself. And we had, you know, most venues were f- 500 t- 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 to about eight 900 yeah, yeah. capacity. And I was like, oh, I can pick my support. So Kate Tempest came with me. But then I thought, Again, I'm a massive comedy nerd. It's why we've got a lot of mutual friends. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, I just, I'd just, i watched a few times. I was obs- obsessed with Brian Gittins. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to ask him to come on tour. And yeah. I did, and he came. And it was my favourite thing. Because I was like, yeah, great. I just get to have my favourite comedians just come and do stuff before my gig. And I'm still at work. Obviously, after every set, he came. Backstage and apologise because he's, <laughs> he's the most apologetic, <laughs> self-deprecating person it. ever. Every gig he'd come back go, "I'm so sorry, I've ruined, <laughs> I've ruined the vibe." Completely like, honestly, you've made it perfect. So yeah,
1: it's and it's exciting when people afterwards who've never seen Rosie Jones before get to see her and like yeah. that's really cool. And like Tessa Coates is another friend of mine who's done a lot of the support dates who uh, is going to be extremely famous. Yeah. Uh, and it is very exciting that. People have people come and see her, and are like, oh, what? like it's exciting to introduce somebody to yeah. go. Here's your new favourite comedian, yeah. and because Tessa is sort of reasonably new to doing stand up, she's been doing sketch for a while. But it's really exciting to hear people react, and you know, and then fucking Rosie Jones is pain in my ass. <laughs> she's, you know. She's very funny, but she thinks it's absolutely hilarious. Rosie has cerebral palsy, and she thinks it's hilarious to uh, throw herself on the floor when we're in public together and shout, help, help, the man from the BBC push a disabled girl. It is <laughs> pay, it's, <laughs> it's payback from James A. Carcer and your missus. Yeah,
0: and you yeah, yeah. They're trying to get out you. <laughs> You've brought it on yourself, and you thoroughly deserve this. <laughs> No, it's 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 amazing, though, and that's the perfect outlook. I think a, a, a thing I saw in music, and I think it's a thing that doesn't seem to be in the current comedy scene, but was certainly in the past, was there was a fear of, oh, we don't want to bring anyone who's going to steal the show, or sure. we don't want anyone to, uh, uh, to be too good. I remember knowing a lot of or seeing a lot of musicians who the headliners were the only one who were allowed to use the lighting rig. And again, certain things, obviously, if you've got lasers and it's all crazy, you want that for the big end show. But our outlook was always, we've picked our supports and we want them to be amazing because we want it to be overall a value for money night. Coming from poor families, you're like, I would get to gigs for first support because I've paid to go to a gig. I don't want just an hour. If I can get three hours, I'll take three hours, thank you very much.
1: But that's what's sort of, you know, that's what's sort of baffling about it. Like when I have a gig ticket, yeah, I go from minute one. Yeah, because I and also one of the reasons that I got a support was because I'm in slightly bigger rooms this year. Yeah, and so the you know the tickets are slightly more expensive. You know, lo, lo, my last tour they were about ten quid. Now they're nearly twenty quid. Yeah, and in some places they're slightly more than twenty quid. And for me, like twenty quid is like that's an outlay. Yeah, and it's in and it's a show that's in you know like we're doing the Hackney Empire at the end of the year. You know, that's wow. a theatre yeah. theatre. Yeah, and that's you know, where people go and watch... I mean, a ridiculous version of this is that we were in a theatre yesterday that's part of this sort of arena complex in Liverpool and we're in the theatre and Brian Adams is in the arena. And you're like, that, first of all, that is two people who should never <laughs> who should never be put together. I love it. We should never have been at the same place at all. But you're like... And I mean, obviously, he's in the 10,000-seat room and we're in a 1,000-seat room. But it's still one of those things where... The, you know, in people's mind, this is the place they go yeah. to see uh, a seven-piece rock band do the show from Robin Hood, you know. Yeah. And so uh, <laughs> it would feel weird to if it was just me. And, so, you know, when people tweet you asking what time are you on stage, you're like, no. Here's Come the for the doors. start. Yeah. You, you know what? You, you never heard of Sarah Barron. You're about to, and she's going to blow your fucking mind. You know, like it's,
0: yeah, I mean, I... I, with I, I comedy, I think even more so. I like with music. I kind of get it a bit because it's such – there can be such specific tastes. Yeah, and sure. It, yeah, there yeah, can yeah. be such enjoyment from hearing f- familiar songs. Yeah, sure. Whereas sometimes the first time you hear them is if it's live, you're not going to get that much of a connection. Yeah. But comedy, a good joke's a good joke. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You don't need yeah. to know it in advance. Yeah, yeah. Often it's better if you don't know it in advance. Yeah, yeah, So yeah, 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 it's yeah. kind of – yeah, it makes no sense at all to go, I'm going out for a night of comedy. Yeah. But I only want an hour of it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not get carried away. <laughs> yeah, I don't want two hours of it's it. Let's a, not be silly.
1: It's such a strange thing, and like all the support acts are people that I think are great, and yeah, and but that's but that's sort of part of the fun of doing. But I mean, like even with music, sometimes I, I went to see Kendrick Lamar last year, yeah, and James Blake was opening for him. Wow, and you're like, and there were there were sort of people coming in after he was on, and you're like, that's such a good like. Yeah. I, I was there. A with me were there. From minute one of the gig, but also because you're like, there. There is also that slight weird thing of like, I mean, it's value for money, right? Yeah, completely. You get two bands for the price of for the price of one.
0: Yeah, it's madness. Um, I mean, it's a great time for comedy in in the UK at the moment, right? It feels like there's many good acts, so much good comedy, but also just there's some great platforms. So I think. I love Taskmaster. And oh uh, we'll, my we'll talk about that later, yeah. but it's the, I think it's the most consistent series. Yeah, it's amazing. I've like equaled by maybe uh, Would I Lie to you, which is another yeah, one that's yeah, just yeah. fantastic, but now we've got Hypothetical which yeah. is fantastic. And then you go to or 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 Frankie Boyle's New World Order yeah, yeah. blew me away. Obviously it's we're going to talk show. about the match report as well. Um but then you've got eight out of 10 cats and, or Cats Does Countdown, QI, like Have I Got News For You, the kind of old guard that yeah, yeah. have really, they feel strong. It feels like there's so many good platforms for, I mean, essentially it feels like for, for you and your mates. Yeah. Like, like there's, there's so yeah. many people who I associate with you and I know, you know, it must feel great to be getting to go and do all these shows with people who you you, you rate as well yeah, and you yeah, get on yeah. with. And they're just these great platforms and formats, it seems almost I mean, endless at the moment.
1: I mean, I did I did Hypothetical, which is obviously hosted by James Acaster and Josh Widdicombe. The other guest was Ed Gamble. Yeah. And then we were, the opposite team was Sarah Pascoe and Lou Sanders. Yeah. And it's just one of those things where I've known all of the, I mean, I went to uni with Ed. Like, I've yeah. known Ed since I was 19, yeah. 19, 20 years old. And, you know, I've lived with James at various points of my life. You know, I lived with Ed I've known Pasco from years and years. Lou and I used to do terrible open mic gigs together. You know, and, like, I remember meeting... I remember seeing Widdicombe be obviously funnier than everyone else in front of 12 people in an open mic gig, you know. I've been trying to catch
0: Lou's stand-up for ages now because everything I've heard her on, she slays me. On Twitter, she slays me, but... Again, just the timings. Every time she's doing her current show, yeah, everyone yeah, is saying yeah. is she's it's found her voice. It's everything.
1: It's. it's- it's phenomenal like I can't it,
0: imagine it because everything I've seen her on she seems to completely derail Yeah, yeah. so yeah. I can't imagine it being her own show yeah, well. and then it having any direction it's like how can you derail what, how's this going to work well, but hypothetical was a prime example of that just so many things that she just, just sat out of nowhere everyone just had a look of shock and
1: confusion <laughs> on their face which is what I look for it was wonderful she is yeah she's just out of control funny and Love you it. know if you talk about her own shows she is the person who derails most of her own shows and that sort of principally <laughs> yeah. The pleasure, but th- this show was. She's always great. This show was particularly good. Yeah, I, I think that I don't know. If she's. I think she's still touring it and doing it here and there. It's called just Shame finished her
0: run at, at the Soho. Th- yeah, but yeah. then it's going to be on the on the road a bit, which I'm going to try and catch.
1: Yeah, she. It's a particularly. You know, when you already think somebody's good. Yeah, you're like, yeah, yeah, I know this person is, and then you go and see them, and you go, right, I didn't. That's no, what, they were this good. Like it's, that's
0: the vibe I've been getting off yeah, everyone Again, it's really... mixing with a lot of comedians, you know that everyone's supportive, but it's really hard to tell. When it's your mate, yeah. you're already invested in their style and their humour. Yeah. So as an outsider, it's like, I don't know if this is a good show or just Br- Brett and Lou are like best friends, so obviously you're going <laughs> to yeah, find it hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But everyone seemed to be saying, no, this show, yeah, this it is was, the one. It was so, an,
1: it's, an, it's an excellent show. I and can't she's, wait. Yeah, she's great. But it's, it's what I used to... I,
0: I love about josie long i i used to gig with her i did a load a few gigs in a row with her in like 2005 or 2006 i think and i did three in a row and every gig she tried to do the same set and i think i heard three jokes at each one everything yeah. else should just get distracted and go off on these amazing beautiful heartwarming tangents and I adored it, because I was like, the, the beauty was clearly seeing that she went in with a plan. Yeah, yeah. Yet being there every night, I'm like, I see where the plan's <laughs> starting, but I've still no idea where it was meant to end, because it's not gone there any night. And she's, that feels like
1: the vibe of, of She's of like Lily such well. an, she's such an important figure. And I think slightly, she's unheralded in some, in, I mean it's funny Jersey, to say yeah. somebody yeah it's funny to say someone like Josie who's been like nominated for so many yeah. awards and but she I don't think she gets as much credit as she deserves and she's so important to a lot of and it's strange because she's a good friend of mine and she's only a couple of years older than me but she started so young yeah and she was she was such inspiration.
0: 15 or 16 right yeah. and l- literally being on the scene with thirty year olds and
1: yeah. forty year olds and everything. and you know and but she was she's been such a kind of inspirational and like pivotal figure to I a lot of people um, a lot of us, my sort of generation who are coming through were really sort of you know pretty directly inspired by her, and she's also one of the few people who has been able to pull off, which I think is a really hard thing to do in stand up I think like there's a few when you look back over sort of popular music particularly, there's a few music acts who have, like, done something and then completely changed their style. Yeah, and, like, yeah. there are lots of people who make kind of make a career of sort of completely shifting album yeah, to album yeah, to album. Yeah. Whereas comedians normally get known for one thing, and that's the thing that they keep doing, and it evolves, but it, it's evolution rather than revolution. Yeah. And she started her career as this kind of indie kind of DIY, yeah. sort of lo-fi. And she was, you know, and she was sort of connected to, like, bits of things that were going on in indie music. And, yeah. and then she suddenly shift, pivots into a kind of, you know, sort of activist political comedian. Yeah. And is incredibly brilliant at that as well. I think I, ju- I just think she's such a sort of important an influential figure. It's
0: amazing as well, because when she made that switch, it was just at the point where I'd kind of started my spoken word career yeah. as political and activist and all that. But, but I'd started to become disheartened by it all and was starting yeah, to move sure. away. Like, I feel I've said everything I can say. You know, everything I said on that song, I still believe. So yeah, I don't want to sure. do just another song on that. And I so I was kind of s- sick of politics at the point as she was making that switch. And I resisted a few times Doing some stuff, she asked me to come and do, yeah. and then I went to one, and I felt like an idiot because I was like, "Oh, it's Josie." Yeah, yeah. So even if she's switching into politics, it's going to be so well observed yeah, and so yeah, well yeah. delivered. It's not going to be this here. Here you're at a lecture. Yeah, it was, yeah. I, I foolishly kind of thought, oh, I don't want to hear p- 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 political stuff right now. It yeah, sure. A while after, I'd like I'd I'd literally gone door to door with Billy Bragg to get people to vote against the BNP and yeah. all this and all that. And I was like, I'm done with it. And then I said, I went to her and I was like, oh, she's Josie. She, yeah, can, yeah. she can pull it off. But I I think you're right on her unheralded influence because she, I feel she's one of the people largely responsible for giving the option of not being s- cynical at a time in comedy when mm. – yeah, Cynicism yeah. was essentially the only option. And wonderful. Your yeah. Stuart Lees and all these who would yeah, yeah. be really cynical were masters. Yeah. Yeah, it felt like, and Frankie Boyle, all these other ones, it yeah. felt like there was no other option. And Josie came along just going, isn't the world great? Yeah. Isn't everything wonderful? Yeah, And was still hilarious. And I think that's the key point, that it's like, it gave people an option yeah. to be that. It gave your James A. Yeah, yeah, and all these others a way to come out and go, I don't have to come out and go, oh, yeah, yeah, fucking hell!
1: <laughs> state of the world, isn't and, it all he, shit? You talk about great double headers. S- s- Josie opened for Stu yeah, like when he yeah, when yeah. he did this tour when he came back to doing stand up. She yeah. was his kind of, she was his supporter Yeah, and, yeah. And I
0: had him on the podcast, and the one comedian he was was raving about was Josie, and I was like, <laughs> that's so mad because it feels so weird. And yeah. then again, again, speaking of great double headers, is James's first big tour was supporting a Josie, yeah, wasn't it? Right. So it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. it all does just yeah, just yeah. push through and, and link and. I think that's what I love about... It's weird to liken it, but the comedy scene n- n- now over here, I'm being specific because it's not the general rule, reminds me of the podcast scene in that it feels like there's so many good options, but they're all kind of excited about each other, yes. and welcoming yeah, of each yeah, other. Yeah. There's not this old... Oh, they're my rival. Yeah. It feels like. Have you seen how great this comedian is? Because yeah. there's an awareness that you're not going to go. Oh, cool! I was enjoying laughing at your stuff, but now I'm just going to laugh <laughs> at their stuff. I don't want to laugh at you anymore. Like, there's not a limit on how much you want to laugh at. You want as yeah. much comedy as possible. Similar with podcasts. You know, it's it's not a, a, a you or them. It's no, kind exactly. Of, and also, I
1: think it's and the sort of diversity of comedy, and I don't just mean that in terms of. Um, Gender or ethnicity or sexuality. I also, mean I also mean it in terms of the sort of diversity of comedy styles. You need, you know, if you're doing sort of alternative comedy, you also require mainstream comedy in order to yeah. have that as have one to, one exists as a reaction to the other. Yeah, and so you have to have the more and more different ways people take because ultimately, particularly live comedy, it's such a blank canvas. Yeah. You know, it's a room with people sat in it and. Anything could happen. Yeah. And so the more varied and interesting styles and the more diverse approaches people take to applying whatever methodology they want to apply within that blank space, it just enriches everyone else and makes everything more exciting. Yeah,
0: yeah, completely. I love it. But um, So, I mean, we said we'd come back to Taskmaster and we have to. I mean, it's a hell of a show. Um, I thought y- you were amazing on it. Um, the
1: points would say otherwise. Yeah, but no, but
0: that was it. You need. <laughs> what's your outlook going in? Because it felt like some people go in and go, forget the points. I'm just going to be f- funny. But what's more amusing is when it feels like someone's not saying forget the points, but they're still just being f- funny. And that was what I felt from you. It didn't feel as if you just gone, I keep having forget fun. the forget the humour. I'm just or, or forget the the game. I'm here to entertain. It felt like you were like I really want to win,
1: but I just can't. And no, it was like <laughs> the thing is. I have terrible hand-eye coordination, and also, I'm sort of in those situations, I can be weirdly impulsive in a way that I wasn't really... It's quite revealing of yourself. I didn't realise how, like, a a number of the times when you look back at the task, I'm literally doing... The first thing that comes into my head. You just want to get back and you're like, wait, give it five seconds. Yeah. Have one other idea. Just take a breath. Take a breath. But it was. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I think I was Choose what you're going to do. Even if it's only from two thoughts. <laughs>
1: but thought. maybe not. At least have the option. The one thing that Horn, you know, and he's. You, you get very little in the way of briefing. And he always says, when, when you start doing it, he says, look, we picked you to do this. Yeah. So don't try and. Don't tr- he was he was That's sort of great. like it's a bit weird. He was like, don't try and be funny. Yeah. Like just cu- just trust that we have dis- we've asked for you, yeah. and so we believe that you just trying to do the tasks yeah. is going to be really funny. I don't think he foresaw how bad I was going to be at all these <laughs> tasks, and also like I mean the other thing I, l- so, I love- just constantly
0: like. And just last up, we've got this, as it sounds, <laughs> just
1: just became a trend it of this just being. And last oh, up, here we go. Let's see what Nish did. It was so fun. I like Greg just increasingly frustrated <laughs> yeah. at how bad everything is. But it, and that the the thing, this one episode where I do something so poorly that Greg takes me off set for a chat, <laughs> and it was just one of those things where you're like, as this is happening, you're like, this is the thing. And it is, it is one of the things that gets tweeted to me the most. It's uh, when he just said, you're not a bad guy, Nish. <laughs> <That's, laughs> I get, you're not a bad guy, Nish. You bubbly fuck and piss and shit. Which are like, and you're like, wow, my, my epitaph is yeah. very varied and interesting. But it's like, also at that time, I just started doing, we were just about to shoot maybe the first series of The Mash. And I, it was just after, in a weird way, it was like, it was just after Brexit i started doing it and it was in the middle of all this kind of me doing lots of political stuff me really starting to do political comedy on television but also you know writing newspaper columns and and entering into that sphere and it was really i valued that experience so much like it's one of those things where people say people ask you if you you know, is it as fun as it looks? And you kind of go, I think it may even be more fun. Yeah, but it was—I yeah, 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 valued yeah. that experience so much because at the time, I was, you know, entering into this kind of sphere of quite serious discussion about contemporary politics, and uh, you know, it, it, everything felt like it was getting quite heavy. And yeah. so it was pretty fun to just go to that house and just smash things and up, piss about, and just piss about and muck around with, and I a door horn and yes. it was just like it was and also he's amazing he's,
0: he's a really underrated um, podcast guest yeah, uh, yeah everything he's on it's is great so we've, I, I, I'm helping out on a, a magazine called the the pod bible yeah, it's yeah. a free podcast magazine and w- one of the sections I added and I'm doing is is choosing a podcast prophet each month which <laughs> is r- raving about someone who's an amazing guest and the yeah. people we've got on this the first one was Jade Adams but yeah. then we've got <laughs> we've got great. Alex on the list <laughs> Tim Key because there's just certain people who are just just they're always just good quality on there. T- Tim and Alex Key is, is I think Alex is such an underrated one because he's uh, so he's, known for Paul's Taskmaster great. now but just everything I've heard him on him on on Richard Herring is one of my favorites ever because he's just he's I just mean, his he's, turn of phrase and his quick wit is just
1: oh I love it. He's so funny. I mean and he's he's great. Tim Key is probably I think if you asked most British comedians of my generation or thereabouts, they would tell you that, you know, a lot of us are, work hard to be funny on stage and then off stage we can be funny, but yeah. we, Tim Key is hilarious on stage and off stage. It's
0: troubling because as soon as you get into his comedy, literally everything he says is funny. <laughs> and I've, I've I've hung out with him a few times and literally him just going like, oh yeah, just saying, oh yeah, it will have me in tears because it's just the way it's... A little look as if he's he's looking to someone who's not there. It's just, oh, it's wonderful. Well, I mean, I'll wrap things up about Taskmaster now. So you said Alex kind of takes you aside and says, look, we've selected you for you. Don't try and be funny. On your series, did he also say, and also we've got Bob Mortimer, so, yeah. <laughs> so we're covered because Bob Mortimer is one. Speaking of reliable yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, hands, man.
1: he was—he's so just funny. gold on everything. And he was, and he, he was—it's it, such
0: a weird one because every time, because I tweet about Taskmaster a bit. End of the last season, I was like, oh, maybe that was my favourite. But I always have to say, excluding any
1: episode that had Bob on, because Bob is just—he's just. He's just there's a, whole next thing level. Where, there's a whole thing where he talks about having a high anus, and I can't yeah. remember if that made the show or whether they just put it out as a YouTube thing. Right. But he talked about how he has to shit, like, <laughs> like reverse straddling <laughs> the toilet. And you're just sat there being like, I mean, this is so funny. It's, it's also one of those brilliant. things where you're like, you know, I would know Watson for years... Ashling is a, yeah. one of my closest friends. Another and great reliable podcast. Yes, yeah, absolutely for, for heavy or humorous. Oh yeah, so it's just gold anywhere. But and yeah. then either side of you are like Bob Mortimer and Sally Phillips, and like I grew up on yeah. Smack the Pony and Shooting Stars. Yeah, and so there is a part of you that's like, you know, a lot of the things that you do, you kind of go really make sure that you value this experience. You're very fortunate to have it. Yeah, and so you really must make you should really try and be present. In those kind of moments, because it's you—you have to remember that you're extremely fortunate to be experiencing things like that. Yeah, amazing, amazing.
0: Well, I mean, you, you mentioned that was around the time that you were starting at the Mash Report, or again because I hang out with Brett at the Nish Report. Is the <laughs> only way I can ever think of it, I literally had to make a note to say called it the Mash Report and not the Niche That's Report because Brett. Brett will only refer to it as as the Nish Report, but um. It's really fucking good,
1: dude. Um, Thanks, mate. Thank was, you very
0: much. I was really, I was skeptical because Britain has tried for so long to do um, kind of a weekly, up-to-date, current affairs comedy satire show, yeah. and they have failed so many times or just missed the mark. Ironically, a Brit went to America and made the best one yeah, ever, yeah, in my yeah. opinion, in yeah. in John, uh, John Oliver's uh, last week tonight. Yeah. So. I was reluctant and I didn't watch it for a bit. And then I saw a few people, again, doing that thing of, I'm not just supporting a friend here. Yeah, I'm sure, genuinely yeah, yeah, excited yeah. about this. And I tuned in and I just think it's great. I think the, the balance is great. The tone is great. And just, yeah, everyone p- pulls their way. I know you're kind of the anchor, but I think everyone is is, oh, is yeah. so strong. It's such a good ensemble. It doesn't... John Oliver is has the sole responsibility yeah, for that, yeah. but there, obviously there's other people, but it all hangs on him, on on the Nish report. Um, <laughs> it does feel like it's it's everyone involved, oh, it's a and again, room team effort. It feels like it's that observation because the reason that the John Oliver wanted to exist was because he was part of the Daily Show, yeah, wasn't he? Yeah. He was a roving reporter or whatever. So it's yeah. kind of it's realizing that. It's, it's looking at the ensemble
1: yeah. and getting the most out of it. I think that was a big... And that was a big... I mean, the original brief for this, which I've talked about this before, but the original brief was they, the BBC sort of announced that it wanted a Daily Show or SNL-style yeah. show. And so the brief has always been to gun towards a kind of ensemble piece. Yeah. And the show is very much the result of a big group of people working very hard and all kind of working and pulling in the same direction as well. And I think the other key thing about it is it's everybody's, I mean, and I mean everybody's biggest job. You know, it's everyone who works on it, the kind of the writers, the producers, everyone who's on camera, and even down to the kind of runners and researchers. It's a show that everyone is passionate about. Yeah, I love that. And it's, you know, it's quite a young team. Even if you look at, you know, Even our kind of execs at the BBC are kind of younger people than you would imagine. And so there is a sort of really interesting, youthful energy to the place. And everybody is, you know, everybody's so committed to delivering the show. It's just, um, it's a real dream to work with all of these people. And a lot of the people who work on camera... Lots of them are people who I've... You know, I've known Rachel Paris for years. Yeah. We've probably started doing comedy at the same time. And, right. you know, Ellie and Steve. And then you've got our correspondents who come in, like Jeff and Desiree. And these are all people who we've known for a long time are really funny, and like Andy Hunter-Murray. And, th- these, you know, everyone we, that's worked there are people that we think are really funny. The writers that I work with are all people I've worked with for five or six years. Yeah, um, it, you know, perfect. In the case of someone like Tom Neenan again I went to university with him so I've literally wow. known him for a decade yeah. and it's you know everybody is pulling in the same direction and I think but I still give a, most of the credit to BBC2 because they commissioned us for 10 straight out of the bat so we did Amazing. four in the summer of uh the summer of 2017 and those four we were just encouraged to they basically said to us these are four pilots so do what you want with them great and you know, and the thing is, those four came out, and there was a sort of, sort of volcanic kind of negative response initially. Right, and you just kind of, you kind of go, we're just learning how to do this. And I think if they had, you know, if they hadn't been so bold with the original commission, yeah, they might have felt like, well, we're not going to bother with this because. And then all that happens Isn't is they? the second six come out, and people kind of go, oh, this is all right, and yeah. you, 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 they sort of go. They go, oh, they've figured out how to do this. And you're like, yeah, but you can only figure out how to do it by doing it. You Completely. know, it's w- really worth going back and reading the reviews of Last Week Tonight when right. it first came out. And or, right. I think you can do it via the Last Week Tonight Wikipedia. Like, yeah. all the reviews are things like, oh, it's fine. It's just a bit – he's just trying to be John Stewart. And you're just like, you need to just give it a second. Yeah. Because, the, you know, I was such a fan of John that I was so excited to see Last Week Tonight – and I remember watching it going, well, this is great. And it's yeah. just going to get better and better. Yeah. And when we started, I was like, we just, I was obsessed with the idea that it's, I was like, if we get through the first four, we'll be fine. Yeah. And then when the second six came out, I think people sort of assume that, you know, people were like, well, I, I feel like they've, you know, I guess they've worked out how to do this. And you kind of go... It was only because of the first four yeah. that we got to do yeah. the rest of the yeah. six. And, we, you know, you learn how to do these things. You can do pilot upon pilot upon pilot, but unless you're actually putting it on TV, you don't understand the pressure you're under. Yeah. You know, you don't understand how to make the thing when the deadline is so absolute and it has to go out at yeah. a certain time. If, the, if there's a pilot, you don't ha- you don't have that. There, you know as it's a great place to work, and we all love it, but there is a just slight smell of fear in the air yeah. <laughs> the of fear course. of the show having to go out,
0: particularly is... with so many people it being their their yeah, their, their biggest thing that yeah. pressure is on that's what makes it exciting and great, but yeah. also particularly that first time, you're all like, why did they put us in charge of this i can <laughs> what are we see gonna do
1: the fear in my eyes yeah. in episode one yeah yeah i if I, I i have I've been forced on a couple of occasions. Uh, like when we were, at, you get introduced to some panel or something, and they play a bit of episode one, and I can see the sheer mm.
0: terror in my
1: face. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I think it's a fascinating one, and I think we need more execs who are willing to make those commitments and take that, those risks. I'm not for one for saying, oh, the BBC execs, they're all being overpaid or whatever else. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's like, as long as they're using their taste to make commitments to stuff yeah. then i'm happy because because i think the arts are really important and yeah. i think a problem with tv is is the american system for it is pilot season and stuff like that where it's like impress us in one episode yeah, and yeah. then we'll decide if you're worthy it's like what good story c- c- can you tell in one sentence yeah you know in general you, you should be planning to build over time and to improve <laughs> and all that and the great shows, or, th- or, or we mentioned the, the Wire earlier. I know we're going from drama,
1: yeah, to, yeah. Or,
0: or or from from comedy and satire to drama. But the Wire, I don't think that first episode airing in a pilot season, no, would, would have, have had, had people same, go, no, "Well, no. let's go, let's go with this," because it starts like I, I genuinely, I'm not sure if I've told this on the podcast before, but I've certainly I've said it before. I again, it was the box set era. I started the first episode of the wire, and ten minutes in, I stopped to make sh- sure I'd put the right disc in. Yeah, because yeah. I was like, "This isn't episode w- w- yeah. one, is it?" It
1: feels like I'm coming in halfway through a show. It's. I just, re- <laughs> I, just re- I just rewatched the first episode last week. Yeah, it's it's kind of an amazing pilot because yeah. you're sort of just in the middle of it. Yeah,
0: they're like, "Here we are. We're going in." There's no. Here's the characters. Here's what we're setting up. It's like just. Come on. I, I was it's trying... It's like they've left the door open. I was
1: trying to, like, remember the experience of watching it for the first time. Because obviously now I watch it and you're like, but no, no, in the bunk. Yeah, 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 and, like, yeah. you feel immediately familiar with it. But it is an incredible episode that starts with, just kind of goes to the middle. But, yeah, it, it is difficult. And it, particularly in this country, it is getting harder and harder because the level of scrutiny that goes beyond are they making good programmes that's applied yeah. to our public broadcasters at the moment, yeah. that's become incredibly politicised. Yeah. The level of scrutiny that the, I mean, the BB, Channel 4 is also experiencing it, but the level of scrutiny that the BBC is put under by elements of the media. <laughs> yeah. We all know who I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. you know, the way that the BBC is scrutinised, it's you just have to take a second and think about where this criticism is coming from. And is there a chance that the people criticising the BBC may not, be purely critiquing it as a broadcaster yeah. and may have their own reasons. Is there a reason 100%. that a Murdoch owned newspaper or a Rothermere owned newspaper may have cause to want the BBC gone? Yeah. You know, and you have to yeah. think about that sort of thing very, very carefully when you're assessing and responding to criticisms made of the BBC. And listen, the BBC is not a perfect organisation and it has made mistakes and it will make mistakes but it's still absolutely vital for across every different possible medium that we have a public broadcaster vital so is the important. key is the perfect it's description so important. i
0: had i had michaela cole on the podcast and we were talking about how growing up in working class areas you kind of have that natural oh, fuck's sake i don't want to pay the tv license yeah. oh the tv license is expensive And then I kind of sat down and went, mate, that's the best value for money I spend each year from Line of Duty to The the Bodyguard to Would I Lie to You to all these other things to to Taboo or to give it its full title, Taboo starring Cerubius Pip. Um, (laughs) There's uh, Peaky Blinders, all these other things. It's like, I adore these shows. And I think, again, it seems weird. Again, anytime I get a chance, because it's not something that people do, I rave about being having the BBC and being able to pay my TV last K- K- Killing Eve, Fleabag shows that wouldn't exist. Th- things like um, people just do nothing, man. Yeah. Like Mobeen, absolutely. So much amazing content that other channels wouldn't make because they're not purely based on, but they have to be driven by um, ad revenue. Yeah. And the BBC has has a commitment to produce quality material and varied material. Therefore, yeah. they are somewhere. That doesn't have. They will have their their Saturday night ratings battles. That's a yeah, fact. Yeah. But they can also go right. We just want to make this because it's good. Yeah. Not because it's it's going to be X Factor or whatever else. Yeah, this yeah. is just good, and that's that's m- massively important. And yeah. yeah, I can't. Yeah, I can't praise mm-hmm. it enough. But uh, on on the Mash Report front, how stressful is your life when you're making it? Because it's a weird one where you, you you really have to be on top of the media a lot, the mm. press, everything that's going on. Obviously, you work with writers, but I'd imagine you want to know what you're talking about. Yeah, You want know? yeah, yeah. to be in the middle of it. I remember the year I had a show on XFM is the year I knew the most about underground hip-hop and that yeah. kind of thing, because that's what the show is about. Yeah, yeah. And I would spend – it it was an hour show a week, but I would spend all week on blogs and all sorts of stuff for finding the real cutting-edge stuff, because I wanted to give stuff – airplay that wouldn't get airplay otherwise that was great but would only exist on soundcloud or wherever else yeah but it was a big job and it's one of the reasons i kind of i went away from it because i was like look i'm not really getting paid much at all and i don't want to just keep doing it and it'd be shit yeah but i've not got time to be putting so much into this yeah to make it the quality i want it to be and I, i kind of feel that with the mash report that you that you'd have to really immerse yourself I mean obviously your comedy has gone in a political angle and things like that anyway so I'm sure that's part of your life anyway but is that heightened during it's definitely heightened during mashup the mash report either. but it's I mean
1: it's you know I've I've always got some sort of news app I put on my phone and mm. but during the mash report it's definitely heightened and definitely the detail into which you go into under, trying to understand certain stories gets much greater when the mash is on um, but I mean I'd already started, in terms of the comedy I was doing, my shows, my Edinburgh show that I did in sort of 2014 a little bit, but really in 2015, had kind of shifted decisively towards being political anyway. Yeah. And the show that I was writing in 2016 was already very political, and then Brexit kind of happened in the middle of it, and just sort of you know, pushed me even further in that direction. So I was kind of doing that stuff anyway. And, like, you know, ultimately, I'm the age I am. So, uh, you know, I grew up... I'm that generation that grew up illegally pirating The Daily Show. So it's like... And also, one of the first stand-ups I saw was Chris Rock. And so it's... You know, there's an element to which that's just the sort of comedy that I wanted to do anyway. But definitely when the mash is on, me and the writers, we're all... And the producers are always trying to stay on top of the news where possible yeah. and
0: trying to... Because it's, it's that that quick turnover thing. Yeah. Which I think, I often think any restrictions or boundaries can be so great for bringing out the best in things. Yeah. When you've got, mm-hmm. here's the time you've got, you've got to digest this, m- make it amusing, find yeah. the right angles on it, now go, it's
1: out. We go live in an hour, just, in, you know. and also it's difficult to be funny about something when you don't fully understand what it is. Yeah. You have to the the, the biggest thing, which I you mean, do... it
0: means that the Brexit era must be just hideous because yeah. no one fully understands no what fully it is. Un- and the
1: thing is, it's sort of it's slow moving, yeah, and it's tedious, yeah. And there's a lot of like, tedious detail. It's, yeah, but its it,
0: omnipresence
1: is is but the pro- and the horrific. problem is the tedious detail is the thing that. That, I feel like, you know, ultimately people should obviously get their news from news sources. But if you are (laughs) going to do comedy about the news, I do feel like we have some obligation to try and make some of these things entertaining. Just to pique people's interest in them. Because the greatest threat of something like Brexit or something like Trump is that a lot of the most dangerous things that they're doing are incredibly mundane. Yeah. And you had Adam McKay on this podcast yeah, and I yeah. think one of the things that he is brilliant at is taking something that seems that was so mundane that it just flew under the radar and saying, trying to make it into something entertaining because as I know you should absolutely, it is important that you understand that when Dick Cheney did X, Y and Z, yeah. it opened up the door for, you know what I mean? And even,
0: even more so with the big sh- shawl. The it's big shawl, like, again, it's like I, Tried to read into that, yeah, and it's just so dense, yeah. And he didn't cut back on the density in no, no, that, but he made not. it constantly entertaining, yeah. And and yeah, I think it is It's important. I learn as much from uh, from you guys on the Mashra and from uh, last week t- uh, uh, tonight with John yeah. Oliver because there is that it's the spoon f- full of sugar, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's allowing you to have this complex stuff, but it's laughing along and it's making. ...points and, and jokes as it goes. And, yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. and But, yeah, I mean, with with Brexit, it's just... It, we've been... It's been two years of admin. Yeah. And nothing has been achieved. And I think that the danger now is people just start to think, well, look, let's just get it over with. Yeah. And let's just, you know... I, I think some of that drive for it just to end... Would push people maybe towards going well. Let's just no deal, yeah. Because we just got to we just got to end this process. But it's you know there's so much detail yeah. to all of these things, and there are parts of the country, and I mean I'm thinking specifically of people living in Northern Ireland or the Republic of Ireland, for whom this boring admin is life and death. And it, I mean, if, if that sounds like I'm being patronising by saying, well, you've got to remember that Northern Ireland is part of the United Kingdom that has been forgotten by so many people. And it was forgotten all through the campaign. It still continues to be... Northern Ireland is treated as a kind of, you know, irritant and afterthought by so many of the people pushing for Brexit. And you kind of go, that shit's not boring to them because it's life and death. Mm. And
0: And within generations they've had experience of of how
1: important it is. It's not far enough it's not long enough ago for us to have forgotten about it. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Like, yeah. it was... I remember the Good Friday Agreement. Yeah. I remember the Omar bombings. I remember the real IRA. You know, yeah. that was... You know, the, the, these are really serious, significant things. And it's it's deeply frustrating when people go... Oh, let's just get it over with. It's boring because you know I don't care if you're bored of it. Yeah, and then and that's where I that's think... what's
0: killer though because it's deeply frustrating and also Absolutely, so yeah.
1: understandable. Absolutely,
0: you know it's such a it's such a ho- horrible situation because it is the the most important thing at the moment, but also as you said, the most boring thing at the moment. You just don't want to hear about it. And so I, I understand both sides of that, but that's what makes it so infuriating. I think there's been a
1: dereliction of duty in amongst top level politicians throughout this entire Brexit process, and I'm t- you know, going from Cameron onwards, part of a politician's job is to make big, complicated issues mm. understandable to ordinary people. It's not just the generation of policy. It's not just winning elections. Part of a politician's job is to be an effective communicator mm-hmm. and to make people understand what these processes are. And I don't think at any point... And I think they, I, I think they did this deliberately because it suited their political ends for a while. I don't think Cameron and Osborne at any point in the years leading up to the Brexit referendum ever articulated what the European Union was mm-hmm. and what our relationship to it was. Completely. And even now, and then it's
0: l- it's left to the the agenda driven press to 100%. to to, 100%. to go oh, bendy bananas. Remember yeah, that exactly. and, and just yeah. stupid shit that is. You're talking about Europe and not the EU. You're talking yeah. about this, and then again, yeah, it's left to these people who, I said, have agendas and have openly have agendas. It's not yeah. a conspiracy theory. Openly have agendas to then explain it, which is
1: and that's how you end up. In, and that's how you end up in a situation where parts of Wales and parts of Devon end up voting for Brexit when they directly receive subsidies from the European Union. And yeah. that's how you come to a situation now where. People in those areas are turning around and going, well, hold on, where, where is this money going to come from? Yeah. Because there's going to be a shortfall that's created if the government doesn't fill in the kind of funding gaps or, that can going to be created.
0: One of the things on John Oliver was was talking to a farmer about how much it's going to affect his import and export and how it could put him out of work, put yeah. his family pretty much into destitution. And the big twist at the end of it was the news report asked him, and he was like, yeah, I, I voted for for Brexit, yeah. I guess I didn't really think about it. It's like your life is literally about to change immeasurably. Yeah. And it's your own f- f- fault. It's such yeah. a, yeah. It's horrible, isn't it? L- l- let's stop talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll, I'll start to get towards our, our wrapping things up. A question that's on it that might sound confusing to you, um, but it will make sense, I promise, is what's your relationship with your parents? Do you get on with your parents? Is it. Yeah, I get on with my parents very well. Then, you know, what happened then? Because comedians do travel shows with their parents. That's the thing <laughs> that happens. And you did yours with. Uh, I'd imagine someone that's the furthest from your parents in that it's a young, white, <laughs> in, in incredibly good shape comedian. Um, well, listen, What happened there with, but... with picking Joel Domet D- 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 over your. Over, over your First parent. of all,
1: my parents would take great exception to the idea <laughs> that they are not in great shape. Oh, no,
0: you know, I'm sure they're in wonderful <laughs> shape, but, but Joel is the next
1: level. <laughs> they want, yeah. I mean, my mum did say to me, when are we getting our travel show, in reference to Ramesh's, <laughs> but, like, my mother is a loose cannon. She cannot be yeah. allowed into these circumstances. Um, I Yeah, I mean, I think me and my parents <laughs> doing a travel show would be, it, you'd have to censor out a lot of... My mother's comments about absolutely everyone. We yeah. Saw. <laughs> like, my dad would probably be on the phone taking work calls the entire time. So I don't <laughs> think that would be a particularly entertaining <laughs> spectacle. I, I love it. But how was it doing
0: it with Joel? Because I think uh, I, I love all, I'm not casting derision over any of the, 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 the comedians with their parents' shows because I've watched most of them and, and loved them all. Yeah. But I think the wonderful th- thing about tr- Travel Man is it's it's Richard with a comedian. The yeah, a comedian's sure. just hanging out yeah. and not being on, but being comfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just so entertaining yeah. and so amusing. And so how was that to knock about I mean, about with adjo- it's
1: very difficult to talk about our show because you sort of are like... You can't believe the places we went yeah. and the things we saw yeah. and the experiences we had. Yeah. And the idea that you would have those experiences and someone would pay you to do it, and you're there with one of your best friends, is right? an absurdity. Like, yeah. we just, some of this stuff, like...
0: It's it, what I mean on the kind of, it feels like a, a, a such a good time for comedy in the UK. Yeah, so there yeah. seems to be so many angles that people go, here's something that I want to do. Do you think we can get someone to
1: pay us to do well, it? it was something to that, plan it out a little bit. was actually bit. <laughs> something that Joel was sort of developing for a, long, for a couple of years, where he wanted to go and live with, tribes that live physically because he's obsessed with so crossfit. does he not get on with his parents I don't know how Joel and my <laughs> parents have all missed out on some free travel <laughs> but um, I he basically they basically brought me in as his like fat sassy sidekick <laughs> And also to sort of do a lot of the. Particularly the yeah. first series. It changed slightly in the second series because I started doing bits of the stuff. But in the first series, a lot of what I was doing was the sort of mechanics of presenting a TV programme, like saying, yeah. we're here doing this. Because while I was doing that, Jarl was like lifting a tree over his head and <laughs> racing some Brazilians. But, um, of we, course, he the, was. The cool thing about it was just, I mean, we met some. Unbelievable people. And it was, I think, somehow my experience of doing that show with Joel and my experience of doing Taskmaster are all bound up in this idea that it's nice to do things that are unambiguously positive. Yeah. Because I spend a lot of my time being incredibly negative about things. Yeah. And that's good. That's fine. You know, it is, Brexit is a, badly organised catastrophe. And it is good to be angry about that, and it's necessary and important. But it's also fun to do things occasionally that are... I mean, like, um, you know, Brett's podcast, or my friend Gabriel Abulu does a podcast called The Three-Track Podcast, where he just gets you to pick three songs that you love and talk about them. And it's lovely to do things that are unambiguously positive. And that show with Joel, one of the things that we... When we first talked about it, one of the things that both of us wanted to do was, like, this isn't going to be a show about... How, oh, let's go and meet some weird people. Yeah. It's these are amazing communities. All of them do incredible things. Yeah. And the, the guiding principle for us the whole time was the, the comedy always has to come from us not being able, us being buffoons. Yeah. Not looking at. Not looking at. Yeah, not, yeah, yeah. not, not sort of. Not trying not to sort of stitch them up or portray them as being weird. Because they, when you go there, they are incredibly welcoming and friendly. But also yeah. they are. Some of the stuff they do is absolutely mind-bendingly impressive. Like, the Mexican ultramarathon runners, it's just extraordinary. You know, they run, you know, 28 miles in jeans. Like, when they turned up, you know, Joel was wearing the tradition, which would often happen where Joel would be put in the traditional gear, which is something that they used to do 100 years ago, but obviously all these traditions have evolved. (laughs) And, like, all of these guys are there in jeans and Iron Maiden (laughs) 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 t-shirts. And so, and it was, it was nice to do stuff that is celebratory yeah. and joyful. And it was, it, yeah, it's been, it, those two, the two series we did were just absolutely, were great. And Taskmaster as well was just like, yeah. it was really joyful and silly. And, you know, it's, it's funny when you meet people who are fans of that show and who are just like, I just, you know, it's brought, you know, like fam- like, that's one of the cool things about doing task is people like fam- whole families yeah. watch it and they kind of go you know my ki- my kids are always walking around saying you bubbly fuck and you're like I'm very sorry <laughs> I can
0: only apologise it's great though I mean the, we touched upon at the start that with p- p- podcasts it's a case of finding a really g- g- good idea that works yeah. and it feels like that on a lot of these things it's yeah, finding yeah. that thing that's fun in, in job a couple of mates of mine have got a podcast uh called Hardcore Listing, and it's just the guests go on and pick their top five of
1: anything. Yeah, yeah.
0: And it's endlessly wonderful because it's not just another interview podcast, which I'm a fan of, obviously, but (laughs) it's not just another, here's another chat with this guy. It's like the reason the guests love doing it is like, right, so I can pick anything and do my top five of it. And it just, it's finding those things that are a bit of a, a joy and a bit
1: of fun. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think it's, it's important to kind of balance your life out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I'll I'll wrap things up with kind of asking uh, what's ahead. I know there's I saw an advert the other night for, for comedians watching football with friends which seemed exciting because that feels like it's one of the first big examples of TV taking influence from podcasts because yeah, football yeah. podcasts have been the one that have just gone through the roof, yeah, numbers yeah. wise, like you, they can't make enough of them, yeah, just there's a, an insatiable appetite for them. And when I saw the advert, I was like, This just feels like a yeah, podcast, it feels like, it feels like, a, like a, you've feels gone, like quite let's a have some, some mates ch- uh, chatting about football. It and does
1: feel like there's a lot of shows like that, yeah. I mean, I'm looking forward to doing that, and we're yeah. just sort of sitting and watching and chatting. But I, it, it is interesting because I, I, when I saw, I really liked the David Letterman shows that he did for Netflix, yeah. and yeah. when I was watching them, and obviously he spent years having five minute conversations with people yeah. that are sort of that he's, and he's really funny. And he's also really good at giving the guests the space to tell the story that they need yeah, to tell and then move on to the And it was interesting watching him do something longer form. And as you're watching it thinking, Oh, this is a podcast. Yeah. Like this is a long form conversation. Yeah. And it is a really interesting thing because I think we always associate the internet with compressing information and the idea that the, our brains are, becoming unable to handle longer form things, but yeah. there is this whole facet of the internet that podcasting is sort of the vanguard of. But also things like, you know, long read articles that are pushing people into embracing sort of longer form media yeah. and longer form uh, expression. It's it's a really and it is and that's then feeding back into sort of TV and
0: yeah, it's exciting and it feels again it it, it feels essential because I think. The reason we get in so many messes politically and socially is because so much gets boiled down to a yeah, couple of yeah, lines, yeah. a couple of sentences. So people have these hugely strong, passionate opinions on stuff they don't understand. Yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, it's what I love about podcasts. I always felt guilty when my launch, like, five years ago because all the, the UK press were kind of hailing it as this groundbreaking idea of long-form rather than short-form. <laughs> and I was like... Mark Maron, Joe ch- 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 yeah. Rogan, all the people I've been l- l- listening to have been doing it for ages. But <laughs> I was like, I'll ride that wave. I'll let yeah. you all think I came up with it. But yeah, I love that. There's that influence going back and forth a bit now. Yeah, so, yeah. It's a beautiful thing. So, yeah, so, so what's ahead? And then, um, then uh, 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 this will be coming
1: out in a month or two. But yeah, I you're going to be on the road still. Or you're going to be no. I'm done. So I'm, in, I'll get done yeah, so. on the first of April. Yeah. And then I've got the odd sort of festival day here. I'll be at MacFest in. Bank Holiday weekend in May, and then I'll do the Wells Festival at the in the last Bank Holiday of May, and those yeah. will be like two runouts for the show. And
0: people uh, seem to love the MacFest. Oh, never it's be, great.
1: every comedian I talk oh, man, to seems to be like it's wonderful. A, it's such a good time. But yeah, and then also a lot of what I will be doing is sleeping. Perfect. <laughs> well,
0: in June July. Thank you very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure, sir. Well, I'm pleasure, glad man. we got it done finally.
1: You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces.
0: There we go. That was Nish. I think you'll agree that was wonderful. Um, We touched upon his appearance on films to be buried with. I recommend you check that out. He's wonderful on on anything and everything. So that's kind of great and kind of annoying. As said, tune in next week as Ed Gamble is my guest because him and Nish went uh, to college together. Or to, to uni together and we talk about all of that so it's a really good listen as said if you want to support the podcast or just have all the extra stuff head over to patreon.com slash pip if you don't fancy it don't there's no pressure here go over there there's some stuff if you don't just you've got free podcasts enjoy yourself life is good my friend and on that note i will see you next week on the Distraction Pieces podcast.